content may not be appropriate for all audiences. Listener's discretion is advised. WTF are you talking about? The podcast where we don't know what we're talking about until you do. I'm Katie. And I'm Decker. And we're here to ask each other, what the fuck are you talking about? So, real quick, this is how it's going to work. We've got six categories of topics. The next episode's contents will be determined by the roll of a die at the end of the episode. The categories are true crime, paranormal, history and education, science, entertainment, and current events. We'll use an eight-sided die. If you roll a one, then you will roll a six-sided die for those same categories, but it has to be local, so any state touching Idaho and or Idaho. Uh, if you roll an eight, then it's a wild, so you get to pick your category. Ooh. So, the, this episode is powered by wine and cough medicine. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. we both sound <laughs> Yeah, both of us were simultaneously dying. Um, <laughs> so, I got it first, then she got it, and now we just have it. Yep, except <laughs> mine... Mine came with an evening of being violently ill, yeah. so that was fun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's... yeah. So I hope for the, those of you in this nice winter season, just make sure make sure to you know take care of yourself. Get a flu shot or do whatever you need to do. See, I have a flu shot, but I don't have the flu. That's the thing. <laughs> I got the flu shot after I got sick. <laughs> so it works. It works great. Um, this episode is brought to you by NyQuil. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't sponsor us. <laughs> sponsor us. It's great. Um, All right. So let's let's dig into this. Decker, what the fuck are you talking about? Well, um, I'm uh, I'm going to talk about something since we just it's going to weird be weird because it's going to date this episode. Um, but I wanted to find something. Spoiler alert. These are pre-recorded. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, I want to talk about something about uh, Halloween, which, unfortunately, that just passed. Okay, but also, um, Halloween is the best thing ever, so... It's amazing. It's but good I was here. trying to stay away from your typical stuff, right? Like, because uh, I had history and education, and I wanted to make sure that uh, I talked about something that was maybe, like, interesting that maybe people didn't know about, right? So, like... I first thought, I was like, oh, Ouija board. And I was like, no, that's definitely going to be overplayed. And funny <laughs> enough, uh, the podcast that we all, you know, know and love, uh, I think, was it M that talked about it? Or was it Christine? Um, I think somebody talked about a Ouija board. Somebody talked about it. I, I think don't it was remember. Like murders. It was mur- about murders. Oh, that's when, right. Yeah, and I was like, huh, glad I stayed away from that topic. Um, but this time, I'm going to be talking about... do the history of the jack-o'-lantern. Ooh! Yeah, because I was like, it's like, what would be kind of fun that I literally have no knowledge about? And I was like, okay, this. So it goes by several names, though. I'm going to try and describe where all of them kind of came from. So you have jack-o'-lantern. You have what's called Punky Knight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Candle and Kostok. Uh, Will-o'-the-wisp. Ignis Fatus, which means foolish fire. And Jack McLantern. So Jack McLean. <laughs> Jack McLean. I would like one Jack McLean, please. <laughs> right? Huh, McDonald's get on that. But um Yeah, so this started in Scotland. And it has to do with a old fable. I'll get more details on that. But it started in Scotland, it was used to ward away spirits or to scare off uh unwary travelers. So um this, uh, I don't know, I can't remember the exact date in which it said it may have uh, changed from, but the story, there is a uh, article from the uh, Dublin Penny Journal entry, which I'd like to read off, um, from 1835, talking about the story of Stingy Jack. And this story also has a lot of parallels with The Wandering Jew which is supposed to be another story uh, basically about someone who like denounced Christ and was like forced to wander. It's also a plant. The wandering Jew. Mm, yeah. <laughs> what? No, she, she, our friend Shannon has a wandering Jew that she's been growing and she almost killed it for a little bit, but it's fine now. 
Oh, oh Johnson. Johnson. <laughs> um, interesting. We need a new garage door opener on that note. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's weird. It's like uh, those upside down plants. It yeah. Like those topsy turvy. Yeah. Kind of things. And I think it's one of those that you're you're not supposed to like water it. You're supposed to just like gently mist oh, it. Oh, it's also called a purple heart. Okay. Cool. Um, Anyways, I digress. Right. That was a fun little tidbit. But yeah, so to get to that journal entry, ignore this button here, you okay. hit this tab, right? So I'll talk about that here in a bit. But so as for the story, um, the story of the Jack Lantern comes from uh, Mary Variants, um, also stories of uh, the Will-O-Wisp. Right. And I don't want to get too into detail on that in case one of us tackles that someday. Mm -hmm. um, but it has to do with like these uh, kind of eerie lights, typically around like bogs or marshes. Uh, normally used to like you know ward off people, or in some cases also stories about luring people mm -hmm. into spots to into you know. like swamps and marshes. Right, and places you drown. Because <laughs> I what? Places you drown. Except. Right, places I, you drown. I, I right. said it aggressively. There's a lot of there's a lot of folklore or like evil entities that tend to drown people. Yeah, <laughs> I've noticed too. Just just be careful. Have you met the human race? I would drown them too. Yeah. Oh. Ooh. So, um. <laughs> But yeah, so let's talk about um, some of the, the concepts around it, and then I'll talk about the actual story. So, um, originally in Switzerland, uh, people uh, would leave out, um, they'd actually also leave out bowls of milk or cream out for mythical house spirits, and call it Jack of the Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's some weird stuff, and I, I, it seems like all of them have to do with whether either pleasing a spirit to avoid it from doing evil mischief, like trick-or-treat kind mm, of thing, mm -hmm. or to keep them away from the house. So, the story of uh, Stingy Jack as an oh, like a, kind of a rough theme has to do with, uh, there's this guy, he's considered a drunkard named Jack, or Stingy Jack, and he wants to avoid um, going to hell. Right? There's a lot of different ways that he goes about doing this in these stories, but in the end, basically, um, he strikes a deal with the devil like to not go to hell. And then when he dies... That he feels to go, counterproductive. Right. Uh, he tries to go to heaven, but he's considered too bad to go to heaven, so he tries to go to hell, and the devil keeps up his deal it's to like, not go to hell, oh, yeah. so he's forced to wander the earth forever. Right? So, let's go ahead and buckle on in, because I'm going to go ahead and... Very sleepy hollow. Dig. So, I'm just going to turn this a little bit my way, because I'm going to be looking away. So, oh, hello there. Now that we're alone. Um, you, could, you could change which screen it's on. I could, you know what? You're <laughs> smart. Let's do that. Let's change this back over here. All right. And, uh, perfect. So, do 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 the legend. So, once upon a time, there was a man whose natural disposition was uh, curlish and morose. Ooh, good language. Um, and the asperities of those whose soul had not been softened down by the influence of the knowledge of God. And his acquirements in this thing of the world did not much exceed the narrow skill which enabled him to cultivate the farm on which he lived. He was known throughout the country for his unsocial manners. His blazing hearth never uh, cheered the wayworn stranger. And the repulsed beggar never again sought his inhospitable door. In short, he lived on the reproach of humanity and his name was a byword in the land. He's Scrooge McDuck. Right. Jack, for his so churl, for this so churl was named, was returning home one night from a neighboring fair when, as he approached a dark and rapid stream at a particular ford, which the imagination of the people of that time had associated with some tales of murder and superstition, he heard a groan that, to his fancy, proceeded from some tortured spirit. He suddenly drew in the mare on which he rode. All the horrid tales uh, recorded of that dark glen rushed to his memory. And as a second and a third sound of agony smote his, smote, <laughs> smote his ear, um, his bristling hair stood erect. The cold beads of dismay oozed at every pore, nor did the whiskey of which he quaffed that evening in his own sordid way prevent the current of his blood from freezing at his very heart. But when the horrid sounds were again repeated, he summoned nerve sufficient to inquire what he could do for the tortured soul that crossed his path 
in that glen of gloom and horror. For the love of heaven, said the voice, take me to some human habitation, for I am no tortured spirit, but a poor homeless wanderer who have lost my way on the wild moor and have lain down here to die. For I durst... Yeah. Or I durst not cross this rapid water. So many mercy be shown to me, or be shown you in your hour of need and in the day of your distress. So this sounds like he's like, please help me and may this kindness return you in favor. Mm-hmm. Right? Kind of like, it sounds weird, but typical baker's mantra kind of thing. Yeah. Um, delivered from supernatural terrors, the, the pleasant soul softened into humanity with an indescribable feeling of pity, which never till that hour reached his heart. He dismounted and saw extended on the damp earth a very aged man with a white beard who was evidently borne down with a load of years and misery. One thing about these old school, uh, like folk legends and stuff, not only are they very wordy, uh-huh. but they're very descriptive and they always tend to talk about, you know, like a theme of like, uh, the Divine Comedy. Yeah. Right? Don't deserve, like, things being borne down onto a man that's intangible. I always find that intriguing. Sorry. Anyways, um, he wrapped the aged sufferer in his warm gray coat, placed him on the saddle, and then mounting on the crupper? Yes. The mounting what? on the crupper. He, I don't have to look that word up. He supported the object of his pity till he reached home. His wife smiled to behold the gruff husband engaged in the unusual office of hospitality and wandered much that charm could have soothed his unsocial soul to kindness. The miserable stranger received every necessary, every necessary that covered afforded. That's a weird sentence. Um, was laid to rest in a warm bed and in a short time, his grief and infirmities were forgotten in sound repose at the dawn of the day, Jack was awakened from his sleep by a bright blaze of light that shone through all the cabin. Unable to account for his son's illumination, he started to his feet from a bed when his pro- progress was instantly checked and his astonishment greatly augmented to behold a young man of celestial beauty wrapped in white garments. His shoulders were furnished with wings and plumage of which exceeded in whiteness like the down of swans. And as he spoke, his words stole like the notes of a heavenly harp to the soul of the wandering cottager. Mortal. That's the voice made give him. Mortal. And said the celeste visiant, I am one of the angels commissioned to watch over the soul sons of Adam. I heard thy brethren exclaim against thy unsocial temper and utter disregard of the sacred virtue of hospitality. But I find that some generous seeds of virtue have lain cultivated with thee. In me thou beholdest the miserable senior whom thy generous humanity revealed, or relived. That's better. Saying the words right are important. Relived. I have shared thy frugal fare and lowly bed. My blessing shall remain with thy home, but to thyself in particular I bestow three wishes. Then freely ask, as I shall freely give. My wisdom bound the desire of thy soul. <coughs> this is a little different than what a lot of the other things have said, because it sounds more like an angel is giving them, you know, some sort of benevolent <laughs> gift. Jack paused for I a moment. You. Right? He's like, you saved me! Here's some wishes! <laughs> um, <laughs> Jack paused a mo- for a moment and then said, there's a sycamore tree before the door, fair and widespreading, but every passerby must pluck a bow from it. Grant that every one touching it with such intent may cling to the tree till I release him. Secondly, I do wish that any person who sits in my elbow chair may never be able to leave it, nor the chair to leave the ground without my consent. Okay. Aggressive. So I haven't heard about those two before. I purposely stayed away from the story so I could be kind of surprised with the audience here. Um, so the first one I know about because uh, and maybe I'll get to it a little bit later on, but it talks about how he traps the devil in a tree is one of the stories. And he just said, whoever touches the tree, right, they must climb up to the top of it uh, before they can kind of get down kind of thing. This last one's a little creepy, though. Being stuck to a chair. Yeah. 
and the chair can't leave the ground until he gives them said permission. Okay. Um, let's see. There's a wooden box on the wall. I keep it in to hold the thread and owls and hammer, with which I mend my bros. I'm going to say bros there. Spell a little weird. My bros. Uh, my bros. But the moment I turn my back, every clown comes here cobbling for himself. My third request is that the person who puts his hand into the box might not withdraw it and that the box may stick to the wall during my pleasure. My wishes are ended. Okay. Does that mean the person loses their hand or they just or affix like, to the wall forever? Is it like when a cat gets a tissue box in their <coughs> and they're just... Well, the, the box is fixed to the wall. So, yeah, either they lose their hand or they're just stuck, stuck there forever. So this know. sounds like someone who was so kind, he decided to be like, you know what? How can I trap more people here? Either he's very lonely uh, or he's a creep. Maybe both. Maybe both. Okay, and I like this next part. The angel sighed as he granted the boon. I like how he says the word boon. The angel sighed as he granted the boon, and the legend further adds that Jack was from that hour excluded from all hope of heaven because he had eternal happiness within his wish and neglected to secure the vast gift. But the angel's blessing remained with his house. His children were many and his crops and cattle uh, throve with large increase. Okay. So that's like typical biblical fashion. Um, in 20 years after, as Jack sat one evening in his elbow chair, musing to his earthly affairs, a strange and unearthly smell of brimstone assailed his nose. <laughs> assailed. That's a fun way to describe it. Assailed his nose. And when he turned round to ascertain the cause, the appearance of a tall, dark-looking being, graced with a pair of horns, a cloven foot, and a long tail, which he carried rather gently tucked under his arm, further increased his astonishment. The stranger was immediately opened. Uh, the stranger immediately opened his message, mentioned, mentioned Jack's exclusion from heaven and spoke of his infernal master's anxiety to see him speedily at his own hot home. <coughs> his own hot home, also known as hell. Yeah, right. When Jack heard these awful tidings, he repressed every symptom of alarm and starting to his feet, it's fine. bid the stranger welcome. I hope, he continued, your, your honor won't be above sitting in the elbow chair and tasting a drop of po poutine? Poutine? <laughs> poutine? Uh, poutine? I'm going to say poutine for this story. I'm rewriting it. Would you like a <laughs> drop of poutine? Poutine This cold evening while I put on my Sunday clothes. The demon complied. There, said his host, is a real drop of the native. A Sora... What, what, the Sora a Galger... I'm not even sure if these are words anymore. The uh, Sora a Galger ever set his ugly face on it. Why then would your honor tell me if you have any Galgers in your native place? We have lots of them, replied he of the cloven hoof. <laughs> Wow. Satan? Satan? Uh, but we give them other employment than still hunting. But come, the road is long, and we must away. <laughs> or it's almost over, I promise. So saying, so saying, he mentioned to leave his seat, but found himself immovably fixed therein. While the galful mortal set his flail to work on his captive enemy, a flail? Where did he get a flail? When did he get that? <laughs> <coughs> Sorry. And um, my axe. Right. Vain uh, every, uh, vain every entreaty for mercy. In vain he kicked and flung his arms around, and swift descending instrument of vengeance smashed every bone in his skin. And it was only when exhausted and able to prosecute his task that he consented to liberate the miserable being, on his solemn oath that he would never more visit this upper world on a similar errand. Okay. Satan has more than one curry to do his errands. The second messenger um, provided with the necessary instruction for shutting a, a fatal chair and flail was dispatched to fetch the doomed mortal who was ruminating 
next day on the adventure of the preceding evening when the latch was raised and a stranger cautiously entered when he had explained his business jack requested that he would be seated expressed his willingness to depart when he had put a stitch or two in his old broge the courier was too cautious and declined to sit but jack took the chair pulled off his broken shoe and requested the demon to hand him an awl from the small box <coughs> i see where this is going okay the infernal visitant obeyed but found that he could neither withdraw his hand nor remove the box from the wall he cast a glance of dismay at his mortal antagonist who sprung the flail and this guy is just flailing people okay and bestowed such discipline as forced to present visitor to submit the same conditions for his release that his brother devil had done. Okay. This guy isn't that smart. No. Because he's doing the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. all right. Welcome to story time with Decker. <laughs> um, all right. And then this last bit here. It is said that his sable majesty was greatly surprised at the discomfiture of his two trusty messengers. And like a skillful general, he resolved to go in person and explore the enemy's camp. Okay. He ascended from the netherworld through, whoa, it actually has a description. I want to look this up. From, or through Ma Mangerton Mountain near Killarney, where that baron of the bottomless pool called the Hole of Hell now fills up the funnel, which formed his upward passage. Interesting. Um, he looked round the lofty height into the far country and with a sagacity of the vulture in quest of his prey directed his course to jack's habitation it was a sunny morning and a heavy frost of some days continuance had conge had congealed all the waters and rendered the surface of the land hard and slippery aware of jack's wiles he rapped at the door and in a voice of thunder bid the miserable mortal come forth i will go ever so your lordship commands me, he answered, awed by the threatening voice and formidable manner of his summoner. But the road is slippery, and you'll permit me to fetch my cane. Besides, I would wish to kiss my wife and the little ones before I go. The fiend was inexorable and urged the wretched being on before him. If I walk without the support of a stick, he resumed, hobbing before his captor, I shall speedily break my bones. And if there is no Carmen on the road to hell, how would your lordship wish to fetch my carcass on your princely shoulders? Oh, that I had even a bow from yonder sycamore to support my poor old limbs. To stay his murmuring and first the desired support, Satan laid hold of a fair branch of the tree, but immediately found that he was unable to either break the bow or quit his hold. And Jack, with a yell of joy, returned to fetch his favorite flail. <laughs> what the hell is yellow joy? <laughs> also, flail. Why? So much flail. There must have been I didn't something that, that happened around like that a... time. Or like maybe they have like a... I didn't I realize know. that was the weapon of choice in Ireland. I guess so. Um, oh, sorry. And I believe it, 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 it's, uh, it's Scotland. Oh. Oh, Ireland. yes. So. Well, no. Dublin? Well, sorry, this is the Double and Penny Journal. Okay. But it, the origination of this story says it starts okay. from Scotland. Unless they've also confused Scotland with Ireland, then... I mean, yeah. Killarney is in Ireland. Well... <laughs> so I'm a little confused, but it's fine. To whoever this stems from, I apologize for getting it wrong. <laughs> um, let's see, though. Uh, he grabs that. Uh, with the yellow joy, he has flailed. In the words of the legend, whoever would come from the remote ends of the earth to hear the most fearful howlings occasioned by the most dreadful congestion would have ample, ample gratification. Jack broke his three best flails on this occasion. How many flails does this fucker have? <laughs> and through the miserable fiend cried, oh, though the miserable fiend cried loudly for mercy, he continued his toil till the going down of the sun. When on his promising neither to seek Jack on earth or permit his entrance to hell, the Archfiend was released, and the fortunate man retired to rest, more fatigued from that day's thrashing than he'd ever been before. 
Well, he's been through like four <coughs> flails. I'm not surprised. Right. Well, flails. Oh God, I just feel bad for his. I'm not sure what he's using them on. Like, does he just have them ready? Was he just waiting for this day? He's like, I've been waiting for these. I know their weakness. It's a flail. And my wife said it was foolish to have four different flails. <laughs> that shows her. Um, our story that, draws near at its close. Jack, with all of his skill, could not baffle the assault of death. He paid the debt of nature, which is dying, for those of you that don't know what that means. <laughs> I said that a little condescendingly. I'm sorry. Um, duh, but, that's dying. Duh. Um, you think? <laughs> uh, but when his soul was dismissed to its final residence, the porter at the gate of the infernal regions stoutly denied him admittance. The fiends turned pale with affright, and even Satan himself fled with the lowest depths to hide his head from the dreaded enemy. Wow. So Satan was even scared of this guy. Hmm. Well, I guess when you're flailed. Uh... <laughs> Then because he was unfit for heaven and that hell refused to take him, he was decreed to walk the earth with a lantern of, to light him on his nightly way till the day of judgment. Such, reader, is the legend relative to Jack O. the Lantern, commonly believed by the peasantry in many districts of Ireland. Okay, <laughs> so I'm going to take back, since this says it's from Ireland, unless Ireland just stole it from Scotland, I'm going to recant and just say, it's from Ireland! So... <laughs> Because uh, I had three other sources say it was from Scotland. I mean, perhaps there's similar stories just from Scotland. Yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, so that's the story of Jack Lantern, right? So he's forced to wander. There are other yeah. stories, though. There's other really, really curious versions of this. So um, another version is basically Jack was getting chased by some villagers from whom he had stolen. And when Satan tried to come get him for his time to die... Uh, the thief instead tempted Satan with a chance to bedevil those people chasing him. So he's like, hey, hey, I don't want to kill me, but why don't you go do some mischief to them first? <coughs> mm. Sorry about that. It's very like, well, I don't want you to kill me if I can beat you in this fiddle battle. Right. And then he said to turn a coin. Uh, he said he told Satan to turn to a coin with which he would pay for the stolen goods. So that way he basically, he took the shape of a coin and then freaked them out and go after them. <laughs> and he's like, no, nah, it's all good. He's like, so you go ahead and do that. And then when the coin disappeared, they'd all fight over it. So the devil agreed. He turned himself into a silver coin. And when he put it in his wallet, he found himself next to a cross uh, that the villager, and he put the wallet tight around the cross so that way the devil couldn't leave. I see. Right, so basically he trapped the devil in a wallet. And then he told them, to hell, right? And but there's also another story here. There are also apparently jack lanterns are a way to protect them against uh, the undead, so specifically vampires. Now for this one here, I couldn't find any sources for it. Vampires. If this is the case with your podcast that you do, which by the way, what's your podcast? Uh, the one that you do with. Oh, uh, our friend Shannon has a podcast called Vampire Movie Club, where Yay, we're plug. trying to watch every vampire movie, every vampire movie ever, and we. Talk about them and hilarity ensues. You should look it up because it's great. Yeah. So with that, we've watched it'd be a lot of bad Incredible. Movies. If you guys had a movie that was about vampires and it had to do with pumpkins, I would be very curious to know more about that. I'm but, gonna I'm gonna look for that when we watch when in our movies to see if jack o' lanterns have any like they pop up. Right, if they're like involved in there. In anything other than just like, oh, this is a Halloween movie. Like, right. There's vampires and Halloween, they're dragon. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess the premise is like, um, the thought is that the lanterns would light the place and since it can help you identify the vampire, once their identity was known, they'd give up on the hunt for you. Supposedly. Cause it's like, now you know who they are cause there's this light emitting. Okay. It's interesting. Um, the only other thing that it also could do is for, um, the reason why people have to have these jack-o'-lanterns was to also protect them against the, and I'm going to probably see this wrong, but it's the Ace Sidae? Um, that's how it's pronounced right here. Huh. Um, and it's supposed to be a supernatural race like fairies and elves from like a, like a parallel side of the world. Um, where like they'd live in mounds and they'd come out and they're known to attack people or steal your kids and leave you with changelings. Yeah, yeah. Right? Something like Halloween, right? You have these jack o so they protect your kids while they go trick-or-treating. And I was like, that's really okay. cool. Okay. <clears throat> Um, unfortunately there was a lot of details about those so that's all I could get um, other than that I just want to kind of leave off with some pumpkin facts and then show you some of these creepy pumpkin facts <laughs> yeah so um, 
First off, the pumpkin is a fruit. And it's a gourd. So, um, the largest pumpkin ever was in 2005, and it weighed 2,020 pounds. Jesus. Which is absurd. Um, they've been growing in North America for about 5,000 years. Uh, let's see. Apparently, it was originally French, uh, the name for the pumpkin. It was found by uh, Jacques Cartier. Um, and he called them... I'm not sure if this is actually pronounced in uh, French or not, but it was you know, like gross melons. And it got translated <laughs> into English as pumpkins, which eventually became pumpkins. So these we called uh, pumpkins spelled P-O-M-P-I-O-N-S. Gross melons. Right, gross melons. Um, and then other than that, uh, there was actually a world record set in Keene, which I have a picture of. In Keene, New Hampshire, they lit... Uh, they had the most lit pumpkins world record uh, for is for thirty thousand five hundred and eighty one pumpkins lit wow. at the same time. That is a lot. That is a ton. Right now, here's the picture of like the old school jack lanterns. They carved these creepy faces into turnips because they originally turn- turnips. Okay, I was like, that. What the fuck <clears throat> is that? It's a turnip. Right. It looks like a fucking mummified, decapitated head of right. someone eighty seven thousand yeah, years old. It's really creepy. Like. Uh, you know what it kind of reminds me of? It reminds me of a mask from, like, uh, Ocarina of Time. Yes! Right? Yes! Like, one of those masks from the, uh, I think it was, like, the zombie mask or something. Yeah. Really creepy. We also have these ones. Oh, that one looks like a goofy, like, like a pineapple went wrong. Kind yeah, of thing. it does. Um, and then here are those Oh, functions. wow. There are a ton of them. And it's just, it was so cool, like, when I saw this picture, like, I guess this is a, this is a thing in Keene. That's supposed to be... Like an annual... Like an annual thing that they do. Festival. They always do a whole bunch of pumpkins in different styles. That is really cool. That's so cool. It's just like a huge like pyramid style... Yeah, it looks like it's at least five stories high, maybe? Yeah, four, probably. Four five? It's real tall. It's almost as tall as the, the tallest tree in the background. It's probably about the size of a house. Yeah. Like a, a two-story... Two-story, three-story house. house. Yeah. <coughs> Is large. But yeah, but that is a story in the history of the jack-o'-lantern. Wow, I did not know that. Right? I was like <laughs> really, I thought I was only going to find a small amount of things, but there was a lot of cool stuff in there. And so... I am going to have to look into that whole jack-o'-lantern vampire. I really want, I I want to find out that. if that was ever a thing or not. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, thank you. So in that case, now that we've gone through that segment, <laughs> Katie... What the fuck are you talking about? Well, today, I bring you roughly a rough estimation of 87 facts about Jurassic Park. What? Okay. So my category was entertainment, and this is one of my favorite movies, Ooh. so I'm just going to... I didn't I, know that. It, it is. It's one of my favorite movies. It's one of my favorite books. Um, it's amazing. And I am specifically talking about the original 1993 Jurassic Park. Yeah, I was going to say the the whole storyline or just the original one. Um, I'll mention Lost World and Jurassic Park 3 a couple of times, but this is mostly specific to the original 1993 Jurassic Park. Okay, book or movie? The movie. The movie. Yes. So, Spielberg and Crichton were were working on a screenplay that would eventually become the TV show ER when Crichton told Spielberg about the new book he was working on. And Spielberg was so excited about it that he tapped Universal to buy the rights in May of 1990. This wow. was six months before it was published. Okay, so they bought uh-huh. the rights for this movie before yeah. the book was even like published. For yeah, everyone. and there was a bidding war, and like there were because there were other directors that wanted to direct it. Um, one of which I remember being Tim Burton. Can you imagine what a different movie that would have been? Oh my god! Hey, I'm not saying it would have been bad. It just would have been super different. Um, I don't even know how to, all I can see is the Mad Hatter. But, <laughs> no, so that was, that was before it was published. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spielberg was storyboarding scenes from the book before the screenplay was even written. Okay. He was, because he was real excited. Um, he was real excited about it, but he wanted to direct his, like, dream movie before this, which was Schindler's List. And Universal Ooh, was like... Movie. We will only greenlight Schindler's List if you do Jurassic Park first. So he was like, okay, fine. Um, but they both released in 1993. Jurassic Park was in June, and Schindler's List was at the end of the year. Hmm. So this, the Jurassic Park movie is a rare ex- example of when 
they take the cover of the book and they use that for the logo instead of taking the like the movie poster and putting that on the cover of the book instead. Right. Um, like they do nowadays. Yeah. So they took the logo that was designed by Chip Kid, and that's the iconic T-Rex skeleton, mm-hmm. and they used that on the movie poster. And that's like what's on everything. Uh, so <clears throat> Spielberg's original plan to create the dinosaurs was inspired by the King Kong ride at Universal Studios. Uh, Disney Imagineer, which, ooh, Disney. <laughs> mm. Someone crossed lines there. Um, Disney Imagineer, whose name I apparently didn't write down. It was like Ben something or Bill something. Ah, Ben. Uh, unimportant, I guess. <laughs> uh, he designed King Kong as a full-size animatronic with an inflatable balloon-like skin that was around a wireframe. Mm. And he was like, this would be a great way to create all of these animatronic dinosaurs. That's really fucking expensive. Sounds like it. They did not do that. So to create these dinosaurs, they had to get creative. So Spielberg put together a team of some of the best special effects people at the time. So we get Stan Winston and his team. They created the exoskeleton for the Terminator. They they built and operated some of the live action dinosaur robots and puppets. Mm -hmm. Uh, How do I say this last name? Michael Lantieri? Lantieri? He was a special effects supervisor on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and both of the Back to the Future sequels. He was responsible for the interactive elements on set, such as making sure the set reacted realistically to the CGI effects that hadn't been added yet. So there's a scene where um, I think the T-Rex throws a velociraptor into a skeleton, like a... Oh. A, uh, I, I can't think it's of the words. It's been since I've seen it, so... Um, but so the the CGI is the dinosaurs, but it was an actual like a practical skeleton that they used. So they had to make sure that that reacted the way it would if something hit it. So right. like making sure that things reacted, the environment so you don't did, have, like, like yeah, them hitting something and it dents the and nothing way. happens. Yeah, so right. making sure that the environment reacted the way that it should to the CGI elements that were going to be added later. Mm-hmm. Phil Tepet won an Oscar for his special effects work on Return of the Jedi, and he used his go-motion technique, which was an updated stop-motion animation method using miniatures to add motion blur for smoother and more lifelike movements in, like, the wide shots of the dinosaurs. Interesting. Dennis Murren previously supervised special effects on Star Wars films, E.T., and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. He led a team at Industrial Light and Magic, or ILM, uh, they combined all of the elements in post-production. So they did a, like, a lot of the, the CGI, putting it all together kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, Jurassic Park, this movie was like a big step forward for CGI. Um, this was one of the first movies where they had just like full shots that were CGI. With, like, it was like some of the first like flesh and blood, I'm using air quotes, renderings of creatures. Because mm-hmm. so, there was full CGI dinosaurs. And that hadn't been done before. Where there was full CGI creatures. <laughs> Um, and so there were some shots that were full CGI, some that were a mix of, like, CGI and practical effects. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. When Sorry. watching the CGI test, Phil Tepet said, I think I'm extinct. Because he was like, well, shit, there goes my job. And Spielberg liked this so much that he wrote it into an exchange between Dr. Grant and Ian Malcolm. So I think Dr. Grant, he's like, I think we're out of a job. And Ian Malcolm says, don't you mean extinct? Um... But so Tepet stayed on for the the whole project, and he served like served like as an as a as a consultant to create like realistic movements for the the CGI dinosaurs, um, and they did still use some of his stuff because Spielberg didn't want to totally get rid of that. The effects artists took videos of themselves acting like various dinosaurs to help them animate realistic, in realistic instinctive motion. Uh, and Stan Winston's team actually built raptor suits and wore them. I have seen those, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, all of Jurassic Park's CG dinosaurs have a collective six minutes of screen time. And the dinosaur effects in the, sh- in the, like, the entire movie, it's 107, uh, 127 minutes, and there's 14 minutes of dinosaurs. Wow. Uh-huh. Uh, Harrison Ford was actually considered for the role of Dr. Alan Grant. And Christina Ritchie was considered for the role of Lex. Richard Attenborough plays InGen CEO John Hammond. 
he was on a 15-year hiatus from acting. He had been directing, and the film that he was directing actually beat Jurassic Park, or beat Spielberg for the, I think it was an Oscar for Best Director mm. um, at the that year's Oscars, because huh. they were both up for it, um, That's pretty funny. which I thought that was funny. But Spielberg approached him about taking this role, and he agreed to come out of retirement for acting, saying that Spielberg had the charm of the devil. Ha! Huh. What a compliment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jurassic Park shot on location in 1992 on Kauai. This was also during the time when Hurricane Aniki hit the island. Um, and that was... And it, so it hit actually during filming, and like they all had to like take shelter in a hotel, and they were stuck for a couple of days. And, right. Um, this, so this has been the most powerful hurricane to hit Hawaii in recorded history. And I was in Kauai several years ago, like back when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And it's like there's places of the island that never recovered. Like, they were like, well, just board it up and move on. This is too far damaged. Wow. And one of the things that happened is that it took, like, it took the, like, the farm life and just, like, scattered it all over. So, like, we have squirrels here. There's roosters and chickens everywhere. That's what I've heard. But it's, yeah. One of the things that we got to do was we took a helicopter ride and we got to go over the Jurassic Park waterfalls. And it was just, like, oh, it was the greatest cool. thing. It was so cool. Uh, anyway, <laughs> paleontologist Jack Horner and Robert T. Backer consulted on the film to ensure that the dinosaurs exhibit exhibited scientifically accurate behavior and looked as accurate as the information at the time allowed. They still did use a bit of dramatic license, so like the, the CGI T-Rex had much sharper looking fangs, and then they actually sharpened the fangs on the robot um, so that they looked a little bit more, you know scary and aggressive right. when in actuality the t-rex fangs are more like banana shaped huh yes bananas which i mean it'll still kill you but it, it looks a little bit more menacing if they're like razor sharp you know right um so the actual velociraptors oh funny little tidbit um jack horner and robert t backer are like rival paleontologists Kind of. Mm. <laughs> Which I thought was kind of funny. So actual velociraptors weighed less than 50 pounds and had feathers, but the movie's raptors closely resemble... Uh, this is... Closely resembled the... Word I can't say. Deanonychus. Yes, there we go. that one. I remember Sounded that one. out. Because um, Spielberg wanted his raptors to be about, like, 10 feet tall. Yeah. Which... Velociraptors were not. <laughs> nope. Are they like um, two? But in an like weird turn of events, like weird fate thing, during the production, a much larger species was discovered called the Utah Raptor. So Dr. James Kirkland, who was a part of the discovery team, he got a call from Dr. Backer and he was just like, you just found the giant raptor that Spielberg made up for his movie. And Dr. Kirkland was like, the fuck are you talking about? Because earlier in that same day, Dr. Backer had gotten a call from some of the special effects artists that were ancient about ancient anxious about the star of the movie being a raptor species that there was like no fossil record of. So they were like, we've made up this dinosaur and it's going to be the star of the movie and people are going to be like, what the hell? This isn't real. And then they found the dinosaur. So the fossil that was discovered is almost exactly the same size as the the big female raptor That's in the film. That's insane. I thought that was That's super like they cool. They wrote that into existence. Yeah. I have godly powers. The only animatronic dinosaur that was used on site in Kauai was the sickly triceratops. All mm. the others were used on sets and in sound stages. The sound design of the T-Rex's roar was a composite of alligator, baby elephant, dog, penguin mating sounds, and tiger <laughs> sounds. <laughs> penguin mating sounds. Uh-huh. That's hilarious. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. I was like, it's, when you listen to it, like, it's hard to imagine it being like a, a composite of so many different creatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dilophosaurus's roar was a combination of howler monkeys, hawk screeches, squan calls, and rattlesnake hisses. Wow. When the T-Rex approaches the tour vehicle, 
like you see the cup of water with the ripples and like mm. the mirrors rattling. I mean, the T-Rex is obviously not actually happening at that moment. Sure. So they created those effects by putting a guitar string under the dash and plucking it to create the ripples in the water. I was going to say, that's very smart. Yeah, because you have that reverberation. And okay. they had a vibrating motor above the windshield that caused the, the mirror to rattle. Oh. Uh, Jurassic Park completed filming November 30th, 1992, which was 12 days ahead of schedule. But since Schindler's List was set to go into production in March of 93, Spielberg handed over some of the post-production responsibilities to none other than George Lucas. And he gets a special thanks in the credits. Right. The T-Rex robot weighed 12,000 pounds, and they used flashing lights to announce its, or when it was about to be turned on, because it was very heavy and dangerous. Right. <laughs> um, if you stood next to it, and the head went by at speed. It felt like a bus going by. Jeez. And due to the rain that they used on set, the T-Rex would malfunction and occasionally turn itself on. Oh. So I read some things oh. where it's like, we would just be sitting there eating lunch, and all of a sudden the T-Rex would come alive, and people would start <laughs> screaming. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, that moment when the T-Rex comes through the roof of the Ford Explorer, and like the glass breaks and everything... Mm -hmm. That glass was not supposed to break. I was going to say, was that by accident? Yeah, it was. So, like, the screams of those children, they are completely real. <laughs> <laughs> when they were auditioning girls for the role of Lex, Spielberg recorded their screams, and Ariana Richards, her tape scream, was the only one that was loud enough to awaken his wife and send her going down the hall to see if her children were all right in the other room. Hmm. In the book, Ian Malcolm does not distract the T-Rex to save the children. That was actually Jeff Goldblum's idea. In the book, he uh, just gets out of the car and runs away. Oh. Yeah. He's just an asshole. He just bounces. Yep. He just... Peace. He just, and, and that's how it was in the original script, too. But no, he just gets out and runs away. Huh. Shortly after Nedry makes his first appearance in the... Shortly after he makes his first appearance in the control room, you can see that Jaws is actually playing in a small window on his computer. And Spielberg continued to reference other films in the later movies. So in Jurassic Park 3, there is a Jurassic Park 1993 pinball machine that you can see in the bar scene. Mm -hmm. All of the cast members were given a raptor model signed by Spielberg as a gift. Aww, and I read some cool. things where it's like some, I think um, Ariana Richards like keeps it like by her door so that like it like greets people as they come in. That's funny. And I think somebody else had theirs, like, in their their son's room, and when they were, like, three, they saw it and were, like, terrified, and they had to move it. Sure. Um, Jeff Goldblum has his in a very prominent, prominent place. <laughs> hmm. um, so Jurassic Park broke box office records for its first weekend, which was June 11th, 1993. It brought in $47 million. And... Some, so, like, we talked about the animatronic of the, the sickly dinosaur. That was in... The T-Rex. Yeah, oh. sorry, keep going. Um, so in the movie, they're just like, oh, it's sick. Mm, wonder why. The book actually very, like, thoroughly explains why. And in the book, it's not a T-Rex, it's a Stegosaurus. Mm -hmm. But so, the T-Rex... T-Rex? No, no. The Triceratops. I was gonna say, I think... And or Stegosaurus, because they're both herbivores they lack suitable teeth for grinding up their food so kind of like birds they'll swallow rocks to use right. as like lizard stones mm -hmm. uh, so after about six weeks the, the stones are too smooth to be of any use so they just regurgitate them so and they like find other rocks to eat and swallow and blah 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 so during this process they swallow west indian lilac berries which are toxic but since they're they're swallowing them and then regurgitating, that's why Ellie never finds any traces of it in the animal's excrement. Ah, okay. Huh, that's clever. Mm-hmm. So the Dilophosaurus has become known for its ability to spit venom and its neck frill, when in reality, Crichton made up the spitting ability, and Spielberg added the neck frill. Huh. So... <coughs> this dinosaur is still like popularized this way, even though it's totally inaccurate. Right, I was gonna say because that's what I can't know it for. Yeah, like it does. That's not even. Nope. Huh. 
In its initial release, Jurassic Park earned $357 million in North America alone, $914 million worldwide. And this surpassed Spielberg's other film, E.T., and it, so it took the record of biggest hit movie of all time, which it held for five years until Dra- uh, Jurassic Park, until Titanic. I was going to say Titanic. How much was it, you said? How much was what? The overall? Oh, uh, nine, uh, $914 million. Cool. I'm just curious to figure out what that is in today's age, because I'm sure it's a lot. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, what were you going to say? Nothing. No, oh, okay. I was just going to say, continue. Uh, Joseph Mazzello was turned down for the role of Jack Banning in Spielberg's other film, Hook, because he was too young. But he was so impressed with him that he was like, don't worry, we're going to get you into a movie this summer. So he cast him as Tim. And which, so casting him as Tim, because he was still young, that led him to change or to reverse the children. Because in the book, Tim is older and Lex is younger. So since he was using Tim, he felt like a child or like a girl younger than since he was using Tim. Since he was using Joey, he felt like a child younger than that to be a younger sister would be too young to place in mortal peril. Mm -hmm. So he instead went with an older sister. And so in the book, Tim is the like computer geek and the dinosaur enthusiast. Mm -hmm. Um, so instead he made that Lex, which I thought was kind of cool because instead of being like, oh, well, the boy has to be the computer expert. Like, no, it's the girl. That's cool. Which I appreciate. Nice. Universal paid $2 million for the rights. And that was before the book was even published. And they made 900 plus million. Yeah. Dang. Wow. Before filming even began, Universal Studio engineers were building the Jurassic Park ride. They they had already doubled Uh down so much on that? Oh, man. The film cost $63 million to make, and the ride cost $110 million to make. Man. That's like... That's like... Like Marty McFly status, like in yeah. Almanac and Yeah. Man, that's crazy. Um okay, so many sections of the original Jurassic Park novel were actually used in the movie The Lost World. Hmm. Which I thought was kind of interesting. Um because there's like there's a whole lot of stuff that happens in Jurassic Park, the book, that just doesn't happen in the movie. Which cause it'd be a super long movie if they were gonna do that. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I appreciate that they bring it back. Uh you'll appreciate this one. Jim Carrey was actually on the short list of actors considered to play Ian Malcolm. Oh my god. That um, would have... Mm. And people said that he read really well for it. But to be honest, I cannot imagine anyone other than Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, I was gonna say, he <laughs> just he crushed it. Throughout the film, Ian Malcolm always wears black, while John Hammond always wears white. And this was to illustrate how opposite the characters were. Oh. Okay. And Spielberg and Crichton have talked about how... Uh, Crichton relates to Ian Malcolm being the like the practical realist one and then Spielberg was John Hammond being like the dreamer and like this is what I want to do and I thought that was kind of a cool they got that like little dichotomy there cool Uh, so the sound of the T-Rex catching a oh god another Gilliminius in its mouth and shaking it was actually a dog with a chew toy the velociraptor squeal is a combination of elephant seal pups walruses and dolphin squeaks um, there's some other animal that I think that to make the sound, they use like the sound of tortoises mating. And I was like, that's <laughs> fantastic. Great. Apparently I couldn't be bothered to write that down. Uh, so Michael Crichton. Penguin mating, tortoise mating. Uh, yeah. Equals dinosaur? <laughs> Sucks cells. Didn't uh, Michael Crichton specifically mentioned that the Jurassic Park audio tour is narrated by Richard. Is it, it's either Kylie or Kelly. Keely? One of those. Uh, so, K. <laughs> uh, Steven Spielberg offered him the part and he does the voiceovers in the film for the audio tour bit, hmm. which I think is super cool. Spielberg would use, so, <laughs> this part is super funny to me. Spielberg would make sounds into a megaphone to give the actors, like, noises to react to, since the sounds were going to be added in post because <laughs> they were coming from CGI dinosaurs. Right, just like, how do I sound like... So he's just like, yeah, like, crowing into a microphone at them. And I, I guess that this was just like a point of hilarity for many of them, which I can imagine would uh, be yeah. awesome. 
And my last fact, the kitchen scene where the raptors are, you know, like, stalking the kids, that's actually special effects designers in costume. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's just some, some interesting tidbits about Jurassic Park, which I, I dressed for the occasion. I wore my Jurassic Park blanket. Yes. <laughs> Wearing a blanket. I wore my blanket. <laughs> it's the new style. <laughs> I got it at Universal Studios at the, the Jurassic Park gift shop because the ride was closed. Hmm. it's fine well i'm fine that was super cool though <laughs> i think what's funny is they invented a dinosaur and then it was real was actually a thing yeah like, oh and i think i read somewhere else that like as the movies go on they tweak the way the dinosaurs look to make them more realistic more um just to make sure that they they match more like as we find more fossils and acquire more knowledge they try to make them look like, to match more what we see the actual fossil record indicating. Have they, like... Because I, I think... I didn't see the newest one with Chris Pratt where, like, he's running off a cliffside. Is mm-hmm. that, um... What's that one called? Fallen Kingdom. Fallen Kingdom, yes. Because I saw the, the one prior to that one. Um, and I, I heard that a lot of dinosaurs supposedly were supposed to have, like, feathers. Yeah. Actually, were quite... Um, and I think that... I don't remember if it was Lost World or if it was Jurassic Park 3, but they actually did have dinosaurs with feathers. The feathers weren't, um, like, the type of feather wasn't accurate, and, like, the placement wasn't necessarily accurate, but they did have them with feathers as opposed Mm. to being more reptilian. Interesting. That's really cool, though. Yeah! That's super fun. Watch Jurassic Park. (laughs) Ah. Yeah. Um, Because I watched, I think I've only seen Jurassic, the first one. I think I skipped the second one. Like, I watched the first, the third, and then, like, the first one is really the best. Yeah. I've enjoyed the, the two newer ones that they've come out with. I think they're fun and entertaining, but the first one is the best. Yeah. I know, like, the first one, like, it's iconic for... Mm-hmm. It's at the stage for everything else. Yeah. So. Cool. Also, read the book. The book is so good. I've never read the book. Is it... I wonder... Is it on, like, Audible, probably? Uh, yeah. Somewhere we have the audiobook on, like, discs. Hmm. Um, I think I may have loaned it to my dad, so he might still have it. But it's really good. Yeah. Cool. Well, I just typed in Jurassic Park Park. Jurassic Park Park. <laughs> you sure did. Yeah, I'm good at words. All right. Well, All let's right. let's roll for next episode. Let's go ahead and roll for it. So, Can I have my notebook? Yeah. I hope everyone, for everyone that's listening and stuff, I hope they all are having a fantastic time. So I have fun with these. This, I think, uh, this last one uh, kind of exemplified kind of what I really enjoy about this, which is like. Totally random snippets. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. So I have, I've got my Kraken dice again. These are the Boogeyman ones. Ooh. Which I like a lot. I wish there was a little bit more, like, purple swirliness in them. Mm. But they're very pretty. I might re-ink them. Isn't that what matters, though? It's about how they roll. It's about how they look. Oh, I got an eight! You got an eight? Wild! I need, like, a sound effect. I need, like, make a bumper word. Like, Ding! Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I made that sound. That was a terrible Ba-ding! sound. It's like someone's spitting into a spittoon. It, yeah, it's like <laughs> Gaston. Gaston. He's especially good at expectorating. When I was a child, I had four dozen eggs. That's song. My, did I ever tell you about my, my choir director? He legit has the voice for Gaston. He used to he would even dress up like Gaston. He doesn't have the body for it, but he has the voice for it. So, Dr. Wells, if you're listening, that was not meant as an insult. It's meant as a compliment. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like Gaston has a very specific body type if you want it to be movie accurate. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, did you ever see the new movie? Did you see the... Uh, I did. What did you think about it? I liked it. You liked it? Cool. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Nice. I'm gonna I, be... I really enjoyed the um, Forevermore. Forevermore? Nevermore? Forevermore song uh, that they yeah. added for the Beast. I really mm-hmm. like that. Oh, I'm going to be rolling my gravity dice again, just because I spent enough money on them, and I love them so much, so. Oh. Two. Two. Oh, why did I close my notebook? Is that true crime? Pretty sure it's true crime. I, I feel like we've done this enough to where, like, I should know what I these are. I think it is. It is. It's true crime. Yep. Okay, because I knew, like, two and three, one of them was true crime, one of them was paranormal. Okay. True crime. Well. Oh. Well, that was, that was an eclectic episode. It sure was. It was a lot of fun. Um... 
yeah, hopefully you guys are hearing these sometime soon. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll be out when you it's hear them. It's just going to be us Although, listening to them. Forever. Right, I know. We'll just be listening to this forever. No, but um, I'm excited for the next one. So, Wild and Crime. Yeah. Wild Crime. Wild Crime. All right, well. Come back next time yeah. and uh, find out what the fuck we're talking about. Okay, bye! Bye! <laughs> If you've got something to say, you can find us on Anchor at anchor.fm slash WTFpod. You can email us at wtf.podcast.mail at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WTFAYTA podcast. That's WTFAYTA, that's our acronym, podcast. Our music is by Decker Hinckley and our artwork is by Kirby Morfitt. Where's your, you gonna put this with your trash? I guess it's that oh. going the recycler. Sorry, what? It's gone. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh, Sorry, face. cat. It feels like it's so loud. Your face? Your face feels like it's so loud. <laughs> Dang it! I wonder if that's what I actually said. I'm sure it was. I don't. I, that's what it sounded like. That doesn't mean that's what you My said. My face sounds like. My it's face so... feels like it's so loud. <sighs> Did you smell that? It smells like a whisper. <laughs>